Okay. This is the final message in our series, The Empty Tomb. Tomb. Mm. Nice reverb. And I've entitled it, Hurry Up and Wait. Who's ever heard that phrase? A few people. Well, it seems to be something that people in the armed forces tend to say a lot because of the way that life tends to happen. Apparently, a lot of things in the armed forces are, you know, people are ordered to, you've got to be here at a certain time at a certain place, you've got to have this, this and this, make sure you're organised, get to it. And people follow their orders really quickly, they get to the assigned time and place and they wait. And nothing happens and finally somebody says, nice exercise, go back home or something similar. And so it's always hurry up and wait. And interestingly enough, our Christian walk tends to be a bit like that. Have you ever noticed that God takes a long time to move suddenly? And so we get a a season where God is moving dramatically in our lives. Things change. We reach a a new level of relationship and understanding and, and faith. And then God appears to be doing nothing. And we pray and we, we move along and we sort of wait. And I think that would be really frustrating, except the scriptures tell us that that's the thing to do. We are actually called to wait as part of our Christian walk. Waiting is something which seems to be in the Bible an important thing to do. Who would like it removed? Because waiting is a time of challenge. But it's actually a consistent theme all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, wait patiently for the Lord. How are we to wait? Who loves being patient? Some, Some people do, that's good to see. Be brave and courageous, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret, or who prosper, sorry, or fret about their wicked schemes. Good advice. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, So the Lord must wait for you to come to him, so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. So, Notice all of those scriptures speak about the necessity of waiting for God's timing rather than trying to do things in your own timing and strength. Psalm 27 indicates a need to be brave and courageous. Strange. Psalm 37 speaks of the release of stress and worry and the discipline of being still before God. And Isaiah 30 speaks of love and compassion and blessing while we wait. So... There's obviously something besides just sitting there waiting involved in this. Somehow we can see that waiting can involve things like being courageous. It involves not stressing. It involves involves having the love and compassion of God in your life. So it's not actually a passive thing. So how does this apply to the disciples as as we come to the point with We've been through them as they've been through the death of Jesus and they've fallen apart. They've been through the resurrection of Jesus where they just haven't believed. 
And they've actually come to the point where Jesus has appeared to them and proven three things. One, that he exists. Well, he hasn't, well, he's taught them three things. He's proven that he's alive. He's taught them about the kingdom of God and he's prepared them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we've got to the end of a tumultuous 40 days where you've got to admit that you know, dying, resurrecting, appearing, showing holes in hands, you know, that, would, that would turn your week into a bit of a schmozzle. And I was just at work and then Jesus appeared and showed me all the holes in his, and then we off, went off to, to Galilee and then he, he spoke to 500 odd people. And then he came, we had dinner with him on the beach, we had some fish and he took Peter to task, that was a bit embarrassing. Um, and then you know, we had dinner and he told us about the Holy Spirit coming um, and we asked him when he was going to uh, over, overthrow the Romans and he told us off um, and then he said that uh, he was coming later and we were, we were never going to know what the time was so don't bother trying to find out. Um, and all of this happens and suddenly 40 days has gone and we're still dizzy. It's like I've, I've taken my whole weeks, my whole year's annual leave in these 40 days and sort of followed Jesus around and now, you know, th things are really getting excited. He's going to want us to do something. And so in the seventh verse of Acts 1, Jesus says, okay, sit down, guys. Here's your mission statement. And this is where they've asked him about, you know, the revolution business. And when, when, do we, when do we get to kill Romans? Don't know about these disciples. They seem a bloodthirsty lot. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. I want you to think about that. They're not for us to know. Why do we go looking for them? I'll leave that one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they're sitting there, finally, he's given us a job. We can go and do something. And they're excited. And then he leaves them, physically this time, for good. And so it says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And we know that they were all sitting around going. Because two guys in white had to appear before them and say, close the mouth, stop gaping. And I don't know whether they said that. But as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood amongst them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And so they've basically said, stop looking up there. He's given you a job. What did he tell you to do? And they're on their own for the first time. It's a bit like if you've, if you've ever had a baby and the hospital kicks you out after a few days and you're on your own. I can still remember with Kirsty. Vicky and I wandered out of Flinders Medical Centre into the bright sunlight and it's a bit like, <laughs> there's a baby. <laughs> what are we going to do? So we went shopping. Um, that was fairly easy. Took her to Marion um, and bought baby things and then went home and had months of sleepless nights. Um, well, actually, <laughs> six weeks. Don't want to brag, but... Okay, 
Um, so now they face their first challenge as leaders of the fledgling church. What is their first challenge? Waiting. You'd think it would be something exciting, like going casting out demons and stuff. You know, now we've got a church, let's go and bulldoze the, you know, let's go out there. Jesus said, wait. He's bored already. <laughs> Waiting is hard to do. And the thing is that Jesus, we know, because Jesus had made it very clear on a number of occasions that they were not to commence their ministry. They were not to actually move from Jerusalem until they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know what the kicker in that was? He didn't tell them when the Holy Spirit was coming. He just said in a few days. A couple of days. Who's ever had friends like that? See you in a couple of days. Two years later, they turn up. Yeah, we'll do that in a couple of days. My sister and I catch up for coffee every couple of days. I think we've done it four times this year. It's a bit wishy-washy. couple of days. Who, who knows how long that is? So they had to wait. But this is, this is the fabulous thing. Who knows? The disciples were a motley bunch. We know that they were faithless, that they, they, they were proud, that they, they didn't understand. I mean, even when he left, they're still saying, come on, where's it? when's the revolution happening? When do we kill Romans? And you sort of thought, by this stage, surely they've got it. They understand. But here, they actually show a remarkable level of maturity. They've learned something. They don't sit passively waiting to see what happens next. They prepare themselves. They gird themselves ready to start off. They, they put on, it's like athletics. You don't wander up to the start line in your street clothes. Blocks, oh yeah, okay. Oh, it's a bit tight. <laughs> Waiting for the start. You, you actually go and you change into those skimpy, skin-tight things, which is why they go and train a lot beforehand so they don't look like me in skimpy, skin-tight things. <laughs> and th they train beforehand. So when it comes to the start, they wander out. Who, who knows? You watch the 100 metres. Usain Bolt looks as though he knows what he's doing. And up to date, he's fairly proven he knows what he's doing. So what do they do? They do two things. The first thing is they pray. Acts 1.14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They got together constantly united in prayer preparing for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Who knows that prayer still works today? One of the things we should be doing to prepare for God to move in our lives is to pray. Be constantly praying. You know, it's, it says here that waiting involves not worrying. There's a scripture that says, don't worry about anything but pray about everything. See, praying is a way of Stopping yourself worrying while you're waiting. The second thing they did, they organised themselves. Now this might seem a bit strange. If we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 15, it says, During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. And in verse 20 it goes on 
This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Now this is a historical point. This is the one and only time that one of the disciples was replaced. They replaced Judas with Matthias. Now, else, And what happens after that, of course, we know that the Holy Spirit comes and they go out into all the world. And guess what happens? Some of them die. In fact, all of them die. But some of them are martyred in horrible ways. And we know that there would have been other people who would fit that criteria of being around from seeing Jesus baptized to his resurrection, still around, who could have been elevated to being part of the 12. But they never were. Why not? Because they hadn't just instigated a church rule. It wasn't just that, okay, 12 is a really neat number. Jesus started with 12, so there's always got to be 12 disciples. Because that, who knows, that's what happens. We, you make rules. We have a rule in this church that while the, the songs are going on, the preaching's going on, if you need to go to the toilet, you have to go around the back of the building. Otherwise, it disturbs people as you, as you go through there and they know what you're doing and they, their mind wanders. Um, and that, that's one of our church policies. Now, the thing is, God didn't tell us to do that. We don't consider it holy. At one, one point, we'd like it so that people don't have to do that. And when we get a, a building, we'll make sure that the toilets are more easily accessible and all of these things. It, it's, but it's not something that, you know, if, if, we, if we send out a, a, a church plant and we've got this, I don't expect to get there and have them in a, in a building saying, look, now the toilets are up the back there, but you have to come out here around the outside of the building and go to the toilet because that's what we do in C3. That's not what I expect. Because it's not, it's not what God's told. But here they're doing what God has told them to do. They were, they'd read their scripture, they'd prayed, and they were obeying what they believed God had revealed to them. That in the, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that to start their ministry there needed to be 12 of them, and so they were actually fulfilling what they believed God had asked them to do. They were not creating church culture at the time. So they've done two things. They've prayed, they've looked in the Old Testament, they've listened to God and they've set themselves up so they are ready at the best of their ability to receive the Holy Spirit. So, and I believe this, this is actually important. This, this is what I call action in waiting. Waiting is not just, okay, I've prayed, God's going to move, where's my couch? Act, waiting is actually preparing ourselves to receive what God has. I believe that when God takes a long time to move suddenly, it's because there's a gap. Just like with Medicare, there's a gap. And that just like the government, Jesus expects us to fill that gap. Except it's a little fairer in Jesus. Uh, no, let's not go there. And so when we pray and when we have that first faith that our prayers are going to be answered, I believe Jesus creates a gap before we become the people who he needs us to be to receive what we've prayed for. I believe that sometimes the gap is tiny. It might only take five minutes. 
Sometimes the gap is huge. It may take years for us to cross. But I believe that when we pray for something, when we have faith for something, when we step out in faith, when we stand on the word of God, God creates a gap that we have to grow into to fill before he will move. Now, that's me. That's not theology. I haven't found that in a, in a Bible commentary. That, that's just my experience. That God's more interested in our growth than he is in our comfort. We, Jesus wants to see our relationship with him deepen, our understanding of him to, to grow broader and for our faith to get larger. To do that, we have to change because God isn't going to. He knows that God's got more faith than he needs, that he's stronger than he needs to be, that he's got everything he needs. He doesn't need to change. But yeah, I, I could state and say, look, I'm the perfect Christian. Um, I don't need anything. Um, I just pray and God changes for me because I'm just such an important person in his kingdom. And you'd all say, what a lying wanker. Because, and I would too because it's not true. <laughs> So we need to change. And I believe that waiting is God's way of helping us to change. We have to cross that gap. And the, the disciples realized that they weren't ready for his arrival. They spent their waiting time crossing that gap so that they were ready when the Holy Spirit came. They weren't complacently waiting. They were actually doing things, preparing themselves for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I believe we have that opportunity right here, right now starting this week. Because who, who knows what Christmas is? I hope I'm speaking to the right crowd here. It's the celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now that's, that should be as exciting as the coming of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, Jesus in person came to earth as a baby. So we're going to celebrate that. Now, you know what the thing I love about Christmas is? We know when we're going to celebrate it. It's the 24th. We're going to have a, a service here the 24th of December. There's none of this uh, couple of days we're going to have a Christmas service. We know when that's going to be, so we don't have to worry about that part of it. But the thing is that we can look through Christmas, through the, at Christmas through the same eyes we looked at it through last year. Now, I'm not presuming that you looked at it this way, but it's very easy to have a jaded view of Christmas. It's commercialised. It's expensive. Christmas equals bankruptcy. Credit card overload, all of those things. And, and we get sick of that. It's a worldly time. You know, department stores play Christmas carols just to get you to buy stuff. That's not holy. That's just rude and effective. So we can look at Christmas as you know, we're approaching that time of year where we are going to be drained financially, emotionally, mentally, physically. You know, it's like that race to, to New Year's Eve where we can finally collapse and say, thank goodness 2017 is over. Whether it was good or bad, it's like, phew, we got through. It was a really good year, but I was so busy, I was exhausted. It was a really bad year, and things happened that I didn't want to happen, and I'm really looking for 24 to 2017. I nearly jumped a year then. Or we can take the time to move towards Christmas differently by actively deepening our relationship with God during the lead-up to Christmas Day. Guess what we call that lead-up? Advent. And so during the next four weeks, as you've already heard, we're actually changing our services to give us an opportunity to actually deepen our relationship with God, to refresh our relationship with God by focusing on the attributes and the benefits of a closer relationship with Him. Week one is a focus on hope. Week two is a focus on joy. 
Week three is a focus on peace. I expect to be a lot of people at that one. Visitors, I mean, I expect you all to be at all of them. Week four is a focus on love. That's going to be a great one because Pastor Vicky's preaching that one. So bring your tissues. That's, that's going to be a good one. And so my question to you this morning is, are you going to take up the challenge to change? Do you want to stay the same in your relationship with God this year as you, you were last year? Do you want to get better? You need to prepare. I encourage everybody this week, in your prayer time, take time to pray for next Sunday. Because if we're going to create a more intimate atmosphere, guess who I'm expecting to turn up really strongly? The Holy Spirit. Guess what I'm expecting for people to experience? The Spirit in their lives. I'm believing that people are actually going to be encouraged, inspired, changed, helped by being able to connect more closely with the Holy Spirit. And I want us to be like the disciples. Let's prepare. Let's pray about this. Let's read the scriptures about what's happening. Why are we preaching on hope, joy, peace and love? Because they're the things that Jesus brings into our relationship with us. We are called to have joy. I hate Facebook. Not really. But I hate reading posts that say, I am going to spend the next year just pursuing happiness. And I grip my teeth and I say, you stupid person. Happiness is a byproduct. It's a bit like saying, I'm going, and this is politically incorrect, I know, but of starting a business saying, I am going to go for pollution. I'm going to produce pollution. No, Pollution tends to be a byproduct and not a good one of something else that you're aiming for. Happiness is a byproduct of actually achieving something else. Joy is what we should be aiming for because joy doesn't depend on circumstances. Happiness does. Sorry, this isn't even in my notes. Um, so, where was I going with that? It must have been somewhere good. I was excited. Jo yes, I'm preaching on joy. That, that must be it. That was even subconscious. That, that, was, that was really good. So there are, there are things that in the Holy Spirit that we need to prepare ourselves for. If we expect to receive, it's a bit like, if you think of yourself as a vessel. If, if you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, he's going to pour in and fill you like, like a, a clay pot. And, it, and the great thing about pots is, and, and God is that he doesn't mind if, if you're a small pot. And he fills you. He doesn't mind if it overflows. He, he'll let you sit there and the, uh, the spirit can overflow. You. But guess what? If you come with a lid on your pot, you're not going to get anything. It might overflow, but it's not going to get in. And so we need to prepare. If we've got lids on our pots, take them off. Now, I don't know what your lid is. It could be just you don't f feel you're worthy. It could just be that you hate praying and you just can't get into it. It could be that... You don't like reading, so you don't read the Word of God. I, I had a, a Pastor Richard Botter from Sydney stood in, in, the, in our conference session and said, I haven't read the Bible for a year. And he said, and I feel great. I'm thinking, really? Really? No, I didn't. He said, yep, I've been listening to it on audiobook. If you don't like reading the Bible, get the audio version. 
take a step to do something different. If, you, if you've always struggled with reading the Bible, don't read it. Listen to it. Any time of the day. And yet, guess what? You can make them stop whenever you like. Is that for me? Somebody's got excited about I don't know where to get them, so don't ring me. No, Amazon, probably. Uh, who's got an audio version of the Bible here? Yep. See those people? Ask them how to get hold of it. So we need to prepare. Are you ready to prepare for what's to come? Are you really ready to prepare? You sure? Okay, let's stand. Let's prepare. Actually, before we do that, Desmond, are you here? Yes, he is. Desmond. Just, just come out here. Prom- promise I, I won't do anything physically violent. <laughs> it's just that while I was praying yesterday, I had a word for you. And I don't know whether it means anything to you, but this, I felt God tell me that... Do you ever play video games? Do you ever, it's not, not to do with the word. It just helps me explain it better. <laughs> you know those, those games where they have what's either bullet time or something where you're moving but everything else slows down? And you can do amazing things. And I believe God's telling me, that's where you are right now. You're focused on what you're doing in life. And you're moving ahead, but everything else around you, all all the peripheral stuff has really slowed down. And God's saying, he's going to take that away. Suddenly, the rest of your life is going to go, come back up to normal speed. And it's going to be something that's hard to adjust to. And he's saying, don't worry, don't panic, I am there with you. I'm going to bring you through this. There's going to be blessing in this. There's going to be change and challenge. But he says, you are up to it through his strength through you. He's going to fill you with his spirit. So Lord, I pray right now that you fill Desmond with your spirit, that you prepare him and encourage him for the times to come. And that he is actually going to do more than survive. He is actually going to overcome and be more than a conqueror in what you have for him. He's going to have a testimony worthy telling. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I ask you just to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. If you're here and you would not call yourself a Christian, not because you're not a good person or anything, a Christian is a person who follows Christ, to whom Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, number one in their lives. And if, if you're here today and you can't honestly say that that's you because you've never invited Jesus into your life, I want to give you that opportunity right here and now. Because a relationship with Jesus is not just a thing that happens. It's not just some time in a service where you, you say, okay, I'm with you, Lord, not with the devil. It's actually the start of a walk a start of a relationship. And I want to encourage you that we can start that relationship today. It really just involves you believing in your heart and stating out loud that you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord, personal Lord and Saviour. And I would love to pray that prayer with you today. So while every head's bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, if you'd raise your hand so that I can see it, I'll acknowledge that hand and we can pray that prayer to invite Jesus into your life. Is there anybody at all? You may be here, you may have done it before, but you know that you are not walking with Jesus. I'd love to pray with you as well. If that's you, you you too can lift your hand and I will pray the same prayer with you to invite you back into the kingdom, back into a relationship with Jesus Christ.
Okay, if I can get everybody to open their eyes and look at me. I'm going to ask and challenge you all to pray another prayer. And if you don't want to pray it, I want you to keep your mouth shut. Because God won't answer it if you're not, if you're not meaning it. But are you prepared to wait in the way that God wants us to wait? Are you prepared to spend some time this week looking inward to say, okay, I'm pretty good as I am, but what do I have to change so that I can have a deeper relationship? So that when you know, the Advent services come around, so that I'm open to what you're bringing into my life. So I, I, I want to pray a prayer of affirmation that that's what we're going to do. And if you believe that you can do that, I want you to pray it with me. And if you're so discouraged you don't believe that you can honestly do that, don't pray it and come and see me afterwards and I'll pray a different prayer with you. So are we ready? Lord God, I am your humble servant. I am also a proud child of God. I know that I can deepen my relationship with you. So this week, I pledge to prepare myself to receive from you, to deepen my relationship, to build my faith, to prepare for what you want to do in me. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I reckon these next four weeks are going to be life-changing for people. Not because I'm going to change your life. I've tried that. It doesn't work. But I know a guy who can. He is my Lord and Saviour. He is Jesus Christ. And I believe that we're going to meet him anew and afresh in the weeks to come. Thank you, Pastor Vicky.